G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Hanene, interesting word. This is the Hebrew word that is spoken by some pretty significant people in the Bible when they're asked to glorify God through their suffering. Hanene is a reply given when there's a total surrender in the mind of the one who speaks it. It means, here I am, I am fully attentive, God. Samuel said, Hanene, here I am, Lord, I'm listening. Isaiah said, Hanene, send me, Lord. Abraham said, Hanene, yes, Lord, I'll go. The stories associated with this great word are always associated with two things, great, extraordinary accomplishments and suffering. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill, and welcome to another episode of Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff continues today examining Judges chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, an in-depth look at the struggles and faith of Gideon. There's still plenty more to come from the Unpossible series, like what was happening on the other side of the camp and the question of, are we one of the 300? If you're enjoying this series, make sure to find all of the messages on your favourite podcast app. But for now, here's Pastor Jeff to finish today's message. Now let's go back to the story because we're dwelling on one verse and one phrase because there's so much here. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So God asked Gideon, to sift and decrease the army with two tests. The reason for such uh, diminution would be that God might rise, might be high and lifted up and be glorified, that they would not put their trust and faith and hope in anything in the temporary, but ultimately would trust God's wisdom, his word and his instruction because they're outmanned, out-equipped, outnumbered, 300, I guess 135,400 to one odds. And God wants total victory. Again, someone will say to me, is God, God, is God a glory hog? No, he's not a glory hog. He wants a relationship with you of full trust and dependence. And because he's the only one who can and will deliver what you're ultimately searching for, that you might have the ultimate victories of your life, he is going to set about the journey in your life, frustrating the things that you put glory in until ultimately you give honor and distinction and worth to him. Now, this is getting hard, I know, but I need you to stay with me. I wanna keep going down this road just for a moment and then I'll make two applications and we'll be done, but stay with me. Listen to what Oswald Chambers wrote. Now he said, sometimes can be very difficult to understand, but we're gonna read it and then I'm gonna go down the line on a few things and express what I believe he's trying to communicate, okay? He says, depart or departure from God's love is the common nature of all sin 
And when the departure from this love is associated with a desire to progress in the direction of a selfishly appointed end, rather than of the end divinely appointed, this is the common nature of the primal sin of the world spirit and of humanity. What's he saying? He's saying that all desires have a fulfillment. That your desires are God-given until you meet them with illegitimate ways and then you have unholy desires. But from the get-go, all desires given by God have a godly fulfillment. All desires given to you by God have a, a goal or an objective. And that ultimate goal and objective is that you and I would go to God and allow God to meet the deepest desires of our hearts. So in the Lord's Prayer, we're even told that we're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Even the basics we go to God for and trust God for daily bread. We're told in the scripture that greater love has no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus does for us what no one else does. And in doing so, he meets the deepest needs of our hearts because the God of the universe who would die for us gives us ultimate meaning and significance. Acceptance. We're told in the scripture we're accepted by grace through faith in what Christ has done on the cross. Nobody gives us unconditional acceptance based on something someone else has done. And meaning, only Jesus gives you the opportunity to live for eternity. Not just to get there, but to live right now. And there's no greater meaning in your life than to do what you do and to live how you live for something that's bigger and more lasting than yourself. Chambers goes on to say, at first we experience a need, then we hunt for the satisfaction of the need. When the need is met, we turn our whole nature in the direction of the thing that met the need. We then discover that the need is only temporarily met and in fact creates more insatiable lusts. Now what he's saying is, you have a need, you go get it met. It's met, but then you realize it's back to a deeper, more intense degree, intense degree. So then you start going back to it, but because it's not meant to ultimately fulfill the desire or need that you have, it creates insatiable lust where it gets to the point where you're addicted to that thing. And then he talks about the last limit. He says the ultimate fulfillment of every desire is God, but we will never find him until we are driven to the last limit. Now, here's what he means. You ever heard the story about where somebody says, why do you always find the thing you're looking for in the last place you look? Well, the answer is because you stop looking after you find it, right? The last limit in Oswald Chambers' mind is that God is so loving, patient, and kind that he knows you're gonna try all kinds of things through the course of your life. And he's gonna let you. But if you'll keep searching to the last limit, ultimately every desire ends in God. And only when you keep moving through the things that promise ultimate fulfillment, only when we keep searching to the last limit will we discover God. So here's what God is forced to do. Stay with me now. Because he loves us as his children, because he wants shalom, peace for us, because he is the end of everything that we glorify. He's willing to do whatever it takes for us to come to the end of ourselves and trust ultimately in his power, in his wisdom, and his love in all seasons of life. And when you fail enough times relying on your own power, wisdom, and love, it is God's hope that you then will turn to him. You know, I think if you remember what happened in the words of the Apostle Paul, it's amazing scripture. The Apostle Paul talks about how he has a, th a thorn in the flesh and how that impacted him to a great degree. 
And then he came to the end of himself. I'm talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll get to that. But not too long ago, I was in a situation where I had been through a season that was just so long. And I remember being backstage here on a weekend, exhausted because I was trying to preach, trying to minister, but at the same time going through a very difficult phase of life. And I remember after the final service on a Sunday, I was just leaning against the wall backstage, seated on the floor. And I said these words to God, God, I can't do this anymore. And you know what happened? It's like God said, finally, suddenly I was revitalized. I can't explain it. God said, okay, are you willing to give this to me now? Because up to now, you've been fighting this battle on your own and you're trying to manipulate everything around you for your outcome. But what if I have a different outcome in mind? I'm telling you, it came to me as clear as a bell. God's saying, look, I'll instruct you to do. You keep praying, seek me. I'll instruct you and guide you. But I've got an objective here that you can't see. Stop trying to manipulate everything around yourself and what you want. Settle down. Trust me with the outcome. Come to the end of yourself and trying to manipulate the world around your glory. And when you do that, I'll take over and I'll take you on the journey of your life. You know, oftentimes in our lives, God desires a different outcome than we do, but we don't see it. So we keep fighting him, or in the words of the apostle Paul on the Damascus road, we keep fighting against or kicking against the goads. God prods us in one direction and we keep fighting because we don't want that outcome, but maybe God does. Now listen carefully, you theologians out there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, eight through 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, here's the bottom line. Here's the, the overarching truth of this passage with which most of us are familiar. Paul is simply saying, the more I rely on God and the less I rely on me in every category, knowledge, wisdom, love, strength, everything, the more I rely on God, the stronger that I am, the weaker that I am in my own self and the stronger I ultimately am because I'm, I am residing and depending on the power of God. However, let me take you down a little different road here because in verse seven, he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, I wanna look at this just for a second. Now, I've never been able to look at it this close, but quickly. There's a few things in the text. Number one, the word is messenger. So a messenger has been sent. It's angelos or angel. Out of the 175 times in the New Testament, this word is used. Most of the times it refers to a real angel, a messenger, an angel. Second, we're told that the messenger or the angel comes from Satan. So now we're talking about a demonic force. Then we're told, Paul describes it as a thorn in the flesh. But this is a metaphor used in the Greek language, both inside and outside the biblical world to talk about a stake through the heart. In my mind, this is an emotional thing Paul is dealing with, not a physical one. He's simply saying, I want God to take this away because it's breaking my heart. There's something happening. If you know the context of Corinth, it's very possible, although I don't know with certainty, that the thorn are the false teachers that are coming along and trying to teach the people after Paul has been there to teach them about the goodness of the gospel and they're leading people astray. And so Paul says, take these false teachers, or maybe it's one false teacher, take them away, put it into them because every good work that I'm doing, they're coming along and destroying, it's breaking my heart. 
Isn't it amazing? You ever prayed to God, God, get him. If somebody's causing a lot of heartache in your life and you pray, God, get them. Give them what their, what their actions deserve. Where's the God of justice? But God says to Paul, Paul, you mind your own business and keep doing what I'm asking you to do. Don't you think I can circumvent what he's doing and accomplish what I'm doing? Paul's question to God is, how can I achieve victory in the churches with this bozo hanging around? I can't fight this anymore. And God's response is, hey, that's good. That means you're going to depend on me more. And I'll give you the grace that you need to make it, but you keep worrying about you. You keep doing what I'm asking you to do. And remember, I can connect all the dots and I can use even something like that for my glory. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Three times Paul begs God, take this away. And the Greek verb translated as sufficient indicates a constant availability of divine grace to sustain you. And therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I know there's no way to victory. There's no way victory can come through my own power and strength, only through the power, the strength, and the wisdom of God. That's a great lesson for anybody in ministry, that God releases the power and strength and knowledge and wisdom in your life to the degree to which you are totally, hopelessly, helplessly dependent on him. The less of you, the more you get of God. The more of you, the less you get of God. And God allows the unfortunate events of our lives in order that ultimately we will learn to depend on his way and his time. And in doing that, we will glorify God and the people around us who are watching us will also glorify God because they'll know there's no way I could go through that. They must have something unique. There must be a secret to being able to stand in the midst of such difficulty. I guess the point is that do you really believe that God is able to work everything together for good for those who love him called according to his purpose? Do you really believe that? Even your sin, even your enemies? Whatever it is that you're facing, do you really believe? Sooner gayo that God can take things that are negative in and of themselves and bring them all together and accomplish something extraordinary. Now, just quickly, I've got a friend by the name of Danny Guglielmucci, and I've mentioned him before. He's, he's bigger than life. I met him first in January 2012. He's the father of the church planting movement all through Australia, founder of Edge Church, which has campuses really all over Australia, growing fast. The thing I like about Danny is he never met a casserole he didn't like. He loves to eat. He's Italian. And one time he was chowing down on his favorite food and he looked over to me and said, he's a, he's a man of constant humor. And he said, I ever tell you about my grandmother, Pastor Jeff? I said, no. He said, man, one time she received a card from the mortuary and she looked over to me and said, they only want me for my body. Another time he goes on to tell me that when he dies, he wants to be cremated because he knows that's the only way he's going to have a smoking hot body. And then finally, Danny said, you know, one time I told the doctor that obesity, he was complaining about my weight. And I said, doctor, obesity runs in my family. And the doctor said, nobody runs in your family, Danny. <laughs> one of the toughest things, Danny, with all this humor in the midst of all this, one of the toughest things to do is see your own people, your own loved ones, your family suffer. And that, that is the story of Danny's life. 
He had to coach one of his sons through a very public mental breakdown. Not too long after that, his other son was struck by lightning and it took his life. Now you can imagine, takes the life of a man away from his wife and his kids. It was such a freakish accident that the local newspaper reported it and described it as an act of God. What kind of God would cause or allow such a horrific event in the life of a fully devoted, unconditionally dedicated, loyal, and unwavering follower of Jesus Christ? You know, because I know Danny, I decided to ask him that question, so I did. And Danny smiled, and here's what he said. God is up to something glorious, I can feel it. Danny said that at the same time he was fighting cancer in his life. I know that we're going to know the future glory. I know that, that everything, anything we lose in this life will be replaced to an infinitely greater degree. I know that. How can you have that kind of faith and trust that no matter what's going on, God's going to work it all together and glorify himself? How can you do that? And then I was reminded of the Hebrew word, hineni. Interesting word, hineni. This is the Hebrew word that is spoken by some pretty significant people in the Bible when they're asked to glorify God through their suffering. Henene is a reply given when there's a total surrender in the mind of the one who speaks it. And you know what it means? Here I am. It means here I am, I am fully attentive, God, and I'm fully aware that what you're asking me to do and endure is going to require some pain and suffering, but you're going to be glorified and men are going to be drawn to you. Samuel said, Hinene, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. Isaiah said, Hinene, send me, Lord. Abraham said, Hinene, yes, Lord, I'll go. Esther said, Hinene, here I stand. The stories associated with this great word are always associated with two things, great extraordinary accomplishments and suffering. The stories of the people who said, Hinene, here I am, send me. I will suffer for your sake that you might be glorified. These were people who were absolutely sure of what Job learned near the end of his life, that only God who brought creation into order through the picoseconds of the universe and expansion and contraction, and the God who took all of that chaos moving so fast, it formed it and shaped it into beauty, pattern, and design is the same God that takes all the chaos in our lives and shapes it into beauty, pattern, and design for his glory. We're, we're asking God to open our eyes and to do something special here. We're asking him to allow us to see him in a way we've never seen him before and to be able to do things we've never done and be able to feel things we've never felt. But what most of us don't realize, if that's what we really want, if we want God to be glorified in our lives, that we see him and experience him and feel him, and that he is high and lifted up above any man, any worship team, any church. That if he's the one that's going to be glorified and be high and lifted up, then we got to be able to know. Hinene, here we all are, God. Use us to glorify your name. Revival comes, but it's always historically associated with people who are willing to pray and who are willing to do whatever God asks them 
to do in order that he may be high and lifted up. There are so many stories I could tell you how God has used difficult events to open our eyes, to know that the only person we can truly trust, everything, the end of every desire, the end of every hope is Jesus. But when I finish the chapter in the book from which I'm preaching this weekend, I want to end with this. My daughter and I, um, we were in Cappadocia, Turkey, beautiful city. And every morning at five o'clock, I would get up because the balloons, as soon as five o'clock comes, the balloons, the, the hot air balloons will just rise over the city. And I found a coffee shop that I could study every morning. But my daughter, the whole time we were there, we were only going to have five days there. And she kept saying to me, Dad, I want to ride the ATVs through the desert, the Cappadocian desert. I've heard so much about it. So we went online, checked it out. We went down to the local tourist place. We bought our tickets and reserved our times. We couldn't wait. It was the last day. So we went down. When we walked into the office, we knew immediately something was up. And we learned quite quickly that they somehow had forgotten our name and we were not on the list. We could tell them talking. We could listen to them talking, but we couldn't understand everything they were saying. They told Sian and I to sit down over in the corner and we're thinking, we're not gonna get to do this and they're gonna offer us another ticket, but we're not here tomorrow. We're gonna miss this. And this is so popular, it's booked out all through the summer season. So you can imagine these groups going out in the Cappadocian desert. There's like 50 ATVs in each group. There's like 10 groups. Think about it, 500 ATVs going different routes all through the desert. And that all these, all these groups have to go rather slow because you've got little ones too. So you can't go through there and romp through there. So, but still you get to ride through there and see some incredible scenery. We waited about 10 minutes and we were ready for the bad news when the owner came over and said, Mr. Vines, I'm very sorry. We didn't get your name on the list somehow, but we've come up with a solution. And here's what happened. I want to tell you, at that point, I was not glorifying God. I was not happy at all because I really wanted to, to do this for my daughter. A car came to the tourist office and picked only Sion and me up. We rode in leather style. They took us out to a remote place. There were only three ATVs. And the owner of the place personally took Sion and I through the Cappadocian Desert at high speed. It was the ride of a life. And he said to me, you know, you guys are blessed because usually we can't go this fast. We can't go where I've taken you. He was taking us in places where I'd have to duck down so my head didn't hit the underpass. We were going through rivers and streams and Sean goes, and he kept saying, do you want to go faster? And I want to say no. And Sean said, yeah. So we were going riding. We had the ride of our lives when we thought it was going to be the worst. Hinene, all right, God, here I am. Use me. I, don't, I know that things may not turn out the way I think they're going to turn out, but you know what? I want to live for your glory to such a degree that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Dallas Willard said, what if God has you exactly where he would want you to be if you had all the information he has? Oh, you know what? God is always going to lead you to do not that which is easiest, not that which is most convenient, not that which will glorify you, but he will lead you to do as tough as it may seem through the course of your life, journey after journey after journey, he will lead you to do what gives him the most glory. Are you in? 
Father, thank you for the power of your word in Judges 6 and 7 as we continue to go through this narrative. I pray as I always pray that anything I've said here that is consistent with your word, that it would go deep into our hearts and change the way we live and the way we see the unfortunate events of our lives. If I've said anything that's not consistent with your word that would fall by the wayside, be trampled on and forgotten. My prayer is that you would bring revival as you are bringing revival now to this place. As we are seeing, feeling, doing more than we've ever been able to see, feel, or do before. As we are getting these Jesus revelations that come our way, as people are getting saved, as their eyes are being opened, as the next generation is saying, Hinene, here I am, send me. May it be so in Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.